0: It's time for a change! Oh, yeah! I have so much anger, I feel like I've been raped in the face. Great At no point in your rambling were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the element of surprise. My name is Chadwick Joseph Sewitt. I'm your host. You can find us at EOS dot or I'm sorry, not dot EOS Mentally podbean.com There we go. Or at uh, Facebook, www.facebook.com backslash EOS Mentally Irregular. That is our uh, Facebook page. Check us out there. Join the group. Yada, yada, yada. I also think we're on iTunes and Stitcher and any other places that you can find uh, podcasts. I've uh, noticed a bunch of them, but I never write them down because I can't be bothered to do that. Anyway, anyway uh, in what very well may be the last episode of the year, although probably not, I just wanted to say that you know, 2020 is upon us. As of, this, as of this date, we now have like 9 or 10 days left in, in, in the year. Not just the year, but the decade. The decade. We're going to be entering a new decade. So 2020 is upon us, and with a fresh decade, what, what does that do? A fresh decade comes a chance to reinvent the wheel, so to speak. Uh, you know, culture, slang, fashion, society, and so much more now has the chance to change and to put the goofy 2010s behind us and leave them back there. We don't ever want to revisit them. You know, there's not going to be any nostalgia for the 2010s. Uh, so what is nice, what is what, what is a nice way to start out the new decade? What would be a great way to immediately distinguish this new decade from, in my opinion, the second worst decade in the past 3,000 years? Um, <clears throat> well, If you go to uh, Italy, the world of fashion over there has an answer. And that answer is gigantic fucking hats. And I don't just mean like fucking gigantic hats. I mean massively fucking gigantic hats by a a fashion luxury brand over there called Moschino. M-O-S-C-H-I-N-O. And you can look this up. Moschino has recently rolled out their new line of spring, summer, and fall outfits for 2020. And... Told the world that their quote unquote streetwear can be designer too. And it isn't just gigantic snapback ball caps that they have, Uh, they've also got giant fucking book bags large enough to easily carry around several medium sized people. And, um, you know, without suspicion, I might add. And, uh, you know, maybe maybe if that's not your deal, you'd prefer, like, a fanny pack that can comfortably transport four full human babies. You know, just because uh, the, the gigantic clothing is what's what's going to be in in this next decade. We're going to leave behind the skinny jeans and clothing so tight that you can see the, the veins in your dick, and now we're going to get clothing so big that it looks like somebody went ballistic with a shrink ray and just, like, stopped halfway through shrinking a person. Oh, well, we shrunk you down to dwarfism size, but you're also fully proportionate as you were, and now here are your clothes. So that's, that's, that's gonna be 2020's uh, fashion gear. And uh, I can honestly uh, go on mocking the remaining items in this uh, designing choices here, uh, but instead I'm gonna take the high road. I'm gonna take the high road, and I'm gonna see if I can't find some ways to work uh, these monstrously large apparel items into just everyday society, because I'm just good like that. I'm just that kind of guy, I'm, I'm a nice fella. So, um, you know, let's start with these hats, okay? So they're designed to fit the heads of the wearer in the same manner that some sort of hard hat or construction yard hat would be fit. Like, the hats are so big, they literally need, like, those inside, like, fitters to, to, to wear. So w- w- what can we do with those? What, what can we, you know, so why not make just, like, humongous hard hats? First off, you know, I think that... Uh, you know, maybe, uh, let's say you've been terribly disfigured in a terrible accident or while uh, trying to give your significant other the maple jellyfish, which, as everyone knows, is the most dangerous yet gratifying sexual maneuver known to mankind. So, uh, you know, now you draw attention away from your horribly mangled form and you can wear a, uh, a Red Sox cap that is just comically oversized. People will be too busy looking at your hat to notice that maybe uh, your face looks like the Emperor from Star Wars. Which, uh, by the way, I'm not even going to get into The Rise of Skywalker. Don't ask me. Uh, let's never, never speak of it again. Um, or maybe your uh, newborn child, while loved unconditionally, is unsightly and nauseating to look at. So you pop it under a big hat or into a giant fanny pack that you've got set so way, you can carry it around without anybody noticing that you've got an unsightly child. Um, you know, maybe uh, just you make like a containment hard like headwear that is not only fashionable, but also able to hold six gallons of like chili in case you or your coworkers get hungry. So, you know, like those, you know, those hats you got where you can put the beer beer cans in and it's got the straws like that only it's a comically oversized hat that just holds like six gallons of chili and it's just got a straw like a hose that you can just pop in your mouth and just suck some chili out of your hat i think that would be uh you know that would be good And these giant backpacks, they can be equipped uh, to contain all of your personal belongings so that at any point during your day, you can have access to your comic book collection or your tax info for the last nine years, uh, even though you only need to keep it for seven years. Um, You know, there's plenty of practical applications for these gigantic fucking monster items. And uh, it just takes a little imagination. And since it's a brand new decade... um, It's a good time to dress like the Shrink Ray Rick Moranis built went nuts again, and we're all now wearing, uh, Dark Helmet's helmet like Rick Moranis once did again. Woo! 2020. We're... Thank God. Thank God we're not starting off ridiculous like these goddamn 2010s did. Gigantic fucking hats. Um, Jesus Christ. Okay, so you know what I've been thinking about lately? You know what I've been thinking about lately? Hey, Ash, you know what I've been thinking about lately? Um, I've been thinking a lot about aliens. And, uh, life from other parts of the universe. And, uh, you know, because... No, uh, just aliens. You know, and because I'm a man-child, I, uh, started thinking about how they reproduce and, uh, of course, what their genitalia look like. Maybe it's something wild, like the face-huggers and aliens, or maybe it's some sort of pods, like the body snatchers. But maybe it's, like, something like they're made out of, like, what we call farts and their offspring simply just break off from the main entity or something like that. Um... However, in my opinion, should they be vaguely humanoid, they'd probably have genitals and reproduce similarly to we do, right? That just makes sense. So, um, or at the very least, uh, you know, which of course only brings up more questions for me to ask you, uh, and that I need answers for. Uh, so first off, let's discuss, what do their genitals look like? And where on their bodies would the aliens' genitals be located? And does an alien penis have some sort of form of, like, defense mechanism of of some type? Like, does it, uh, does it, like, uh, you know, like, have, like, a hardened shell on it? Or is it just basically, um, you know, just flaccid and gimpy until needed, like, on Earth? Except for me, because I've never been flaccid or gimpy ever in my life, ever, ever. Um, not once. Never happened. Um, so anyway, so what if aliens exist, and they look exactly like we do, except for just the location Of their genitals. What if the only defining thing to to differentiate a human being of Earth from an alien life form is the location of the genitalia? So um, instead of being on their crotches, like you know, it'd be like on their lower back or like on their kneecap. Like like you go to like a male like a male alien, and like he'd have like like a pop up fucking penis on his kneecap, and like the female would have like a like a hidden vagina on her neck. And, uh, you know, like where the Adam's apple would be on a man and where, like, the lack of Adam's apple would be on a regular woman. But on this, on this it just looks like a regular woman's neck, but then it, it, it flaps open like that thing in Jurassic Park. Remember the one that had the thing? It's like, and it would spit on you, and its little flaps came open like that. Like, she's got a neck vagina that just flaps open like that. And, um, you know, what, what if that was the only physical differences between us and them? And can you imagine how funny that would be to see them neck-humping what 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 if the dick was on the neck too, and it's just two, just two fucking. It just looks like two people just smashing their necks together like giraffes fighting, <laughs> just and making sex noises. How about that? We're or, or, or going back to that nick on the the dick on the knee idea. Uh, that's exactly what I want to see. Um, you know, I want to see like the dick on the knee and the female uh, genitalia on the throat. So it just looks like some guy is just kneeing some chick in the throat, but erotically the cops would get called one night because maybe they'd uh, come home from being out together and they're both erotically charged and their neighbor overheard the male say that he's going to knee her in the throat really fucking hard and it literally looks like domestic abuse from any outside, like, standpoint. So, you know, maybe an officer pulls, like, pulls up and they, uh, they knock on the door and no one answers because, you know, he's sitting there kneeing her in the neck, all sexual and such. And so the cop busts open the door and he sees, uh, what he sees is just her, with uh, like, down on the ground, like, going, oh, 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 and him, like, going, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. So he, like, jams his knee into her throat. And, uh, and then the cop, he's a he's a human cop, so he doesn't know about the, their their alien genitalia location. So he just goes up and he just pulls pulls him off her. And then the alien knee penis, or or neenus, as I'm going to call it from uh, here on out, just comes out of her alien neck vagina, or neckgina, and it just blasts a load of alien jizz all over the cops boots or 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 maybe interrupting them uh during their confusing alien coitus would cause their more alien nature to take over and they'd start making some unholy space sound like in uh um fucking invasion of the body snatchers Uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, maybe he tried to physically absorb the police officers. I don't know. I, I just, I kind of forget where I was going with this. So I'm just going to leave you with the mental image of two fully nude people smashing their throats together again in sexual ecstasy. Um, yeah, just, just think about that one for a bit. That's, that's highly entertaining. Just, <laughs> just kneeing her in the th- I'm gonna knee you in the throat so fucking hard. Woo! And meanwhile, the, the neighbors are like, uh oh. Uh oh, looks like Jim's beating up on Wanda again. i to call the police. <laughs> okay. Alright, so uh, here we go. So, you know that film Joker that uh, came out this year? You know the one that has uh, you know it's it's made. It's, everyone's talking about how fantastic it is. Oh, I've never seen a movie like Joker. It was so fantastic and gritty. Ooh, yay, Joker! Uh yeah. You know what? It was for a better lack of ter- lack of a better term. It was uh, let's say well received, but uh, you know. Uh, moviegoers, fans, and critics alike have all have all seen the movie, and they all they all seem to enjoy it. It has been nominated for 37 awards in various aspects of filmmaking, and is the first R-rated movie in history to earn one billion dollars at the box office. Um, as as of this recording, the film continues to perform well, and is currently the 33rd highest-grossing film of all time. Joaquin Phoenix has received considerable. Bor- considerable praise in his depiction of the character, and director Todd Phillips has been praised as well for his filmmaking and uh, providing a gritty look at mental illness. That being said, the film is pure garbage. It is pure garbage that does nothing more than blatantly rip off two of Martin Scorsese's films, uh, Taxi Driver and The King of Comedy, both of which, uh, ironically enough, starred Robert De Niro as the mentally ill lead character, um, I, I say ironically because De Niro's in Joker. And uh, to paraphrase a, uh, another film Joker, I, I, I know the garbage rip-offs when I see them. And, yeah. Um, so if you're currently thinking, man, Chad, you of all people... I'd expect of all people, you would have loved the movie. It's just about the Joker. Well, I'm happy to disappoint you because, uh, firstly, I'm not a big fan of Todd Phillips' work. He's not particularly inventive. And uh, before he hit it big with the Hangover movies, most of the films he directed, you can find them in the $3 bin at Walmart. Um, here's a list of his uh, $3 bin at Walmart films, by the way. Um so, that way you know that I've done my homework. There's Road Trip, Old School, starts He and Hutch, and School for Scoundrels. Now, I've seen all four of these films, and they were all garbage. I've also seen all four of these films in the same dollar bin at Walmart at the same time. I've also watched each of them and found them mildly amusing, but not particularly original or worth, worth a rewatch, worth reviewing. Um, so, that being said, let's get back to Joker. Uh, the character of the Joker needs no introduction. And uh, one of the best parts of the character, to me anyway, is that his past is subject to circumstance, in that there are multiple conflicting accounts of his origin and who he really is or was before he became the Joker. Uh, That and his insanity and criminal activity being implied to be linked to Batman himself, and that without Batman, he'd be able to lead a perfectly normal life. Uh, This is alluded to in the classic comic adaptations like uh, The Dark Knight Returns and The Killing Joke. Um, Although the latter seems to infer that Batman was more the straw that broke the camel's back than any other reason for going nuts, like he was already headed that way. But uh, in my opinion, in the comic book world, the best portrayal of how the Joker would simply stop being the Joker without Batman is the 1994 uh, graphic novel short, uh, One-Shot, called Going Sane. Which uh, begins with the Joker seemingly killing Batman in a warehouse. uh, To which he then erupts with laughter until he realizes that he's got nothing left to accomplish. And that laughter just starts turning into sobs and crying. And then uh, it jumps forward several months. And we find just a normal looking dude. Just, you know, living a regular, if not somewhat mediocre life. And it's only through the man's name that we know who he is. His name is Joseph Kerr. Joe Kerr. See, <laughs> anyway, uh, he just lives in like a normal existence and works a job and has a small apartment and a girlfriend and is generally gen- gen- like just like generally satisfied with his with his life, you know. And then and then Batman, who had survived uh, being the the uh, fight with Joker at the beginning of the story, and uh, you know who Joker thought was dead, now Batman has survived and he's been healing from his wounds, <clears throat> and so he he returns. You know, one night there's a crime. Batman shows up to stop at the bat. Signal goes up in the sky. Uh, Joseph Kerr is out in the park with his girlfriend. They're sitting on a park bench talking about their lives. He's thinking about popping the big question to her. And then the bat signal goes up into the sky. And uh, Joe notices the bat signal, and his entire fucking demeanor just changes almost instantly. His eyes become a little bit more manic, and he starts smiling almost constantly. And then over the next day or two, Joe Kerr slips back into insanity until he's just Joker again. He's just the Joker. Now, the idea that his mental state is a direct parallel with Batman's existence to me, is the only backstory he needs. No Batman, no Joker. That simple. It should be fucking that simple, and anybody else that gleans, tries to glean any further knowledge of it, is just, you know, you're, you're digging for straws. The best part about the Joker is that he's just the fucking Joker. But, uh, the movie, anyway, back to the movie. The movie takes all of that that I just said, and everything else original about the character, and instead shoves him into a crude ripoff of Taxi Driver and The King of Comedy. Um, Everything from the rapidly deteriorating mental health to blaming society to the imaginary relationship and admiration turned uh, animosity of a politician is straight at a taxi driver, and the obsession turned uh, fictitious friendship with a TV host and the failed attempt at a career as a stand-up comedian are straight from King of Comedy. In uh, King of Comedy, it's Robert De Niro idolizing Jerry Lewis. And in Taxi Driver, it's Robert De Niro going through basically all the other things that I mentioned. Um, Now, I will acknowledge that the movie was visually striking, and the cinematography was excellent. Uh, I will also acknowledge that Phoenix is an excellent actor, and his version of the Joker reflects how good of an actor he is. That is as far as I'll go for praising the film, and there will be no more kind words from me about it. So... You see, I don't look at this as a bastardization of a classic character, nor do I feel that the film needed all the hype it received. I don't feel that it earned the praise that it's gotten, and it's not a fantastic example of uh, a Joker movie so much as it is a fantastic example of the stupidity of our human condition. Um, You see, people would rather buy into the hype than decide for themselves. People would much rather believe that something is good because they are told it is good. People were just like the rioters in that movie, as the movie portrayed, in that if you believe in an ideal strongly enough, other people will believe in it too. So, I look at Joker, and I see something that is a practical joke, and the punchline is that we bought right into it. The joke is a deliberately bad movie made by ripping off other movies, and the punchline is that we ran in droves, shoving our money into it, because we're told it was good, and because... A man in makeup with green, because of a man in makeup with green hair. The funniest part of the joke is that barely anyone noticed, and as Joaquin Phoenix said in the film, we got what we deserved. So, that's my review on Joker, uh, the worst film of 2019, of Skywalker we will not speak of it again. Not going to speak of it again. Um, So, let's do some Forgotten Cartoons. It's been a while since I did any forgotten cartoons. Let's do some forgotten cartoons, goddammit! Okay. Um, in 1991, there was a cartoon called Captain Bucky O'Hare and the Toad Wars. Now, Captain Bucky O'Hare was a green space rabbit who was from another dimension. And Irish, apparently, because his last name was O'Hare. Um, his dimension was populated by planets full of anthropomorphic animals... Uh, the planet Al- Aldebar- Aldebaran had cats. Uh, Rigel 5 had koalas. Uh, Betelgusia had berserker baboons with weird eyes. And, you know, very clearly somebody was high on methamphetamines when they thought of all of this. Um, the bad guys in this show were Toads, who, for reasons unknown to anybody other than the creator, who, again, was in a frighteningly, frighteningly realistic acid trip and probably thought that all of this stuff he was creating was going on around him. But, anyway, the bad guys were the Toads. And they invaded and took over Bucky O'Hare's planet of Warren, which is funny because rabbits live in Warrens, and again, for acid-fueled reasons known only to the creator. And here's the thing about this show, though, is that it was actually fucking pretty awesome. Um, to this day, the comics and toy line have, like, a, a bit of a cult following. And why this never caught on was beyond me. The intro, which you can find on YouTube, is just downright amazing. And the catchphrase, let's croak some toad, was badass in 1991. In 2020, it sounds like a drunk drunk frat boy talking about fucking a swamp person. But in 1991, it was a cool thing to say. Let's go croak some toad. Now, getting into the the terrible ones. In 1986, there was a cartoon called Foofer. And I'm going to spell that for you. Because I'm not making it up. Foofer. F-O-O-F-U-R. Foofer was a cartoon about a tall, skinny, blue bloodhound dog named, surprisingly enough, Foofer. And uh, he and his friends, Fencer the Cat, Louis the Bulldog, Hazel the Cocker Spaniel, Hazel's husband, because dog marriage was a thing. Uh, Fritz, Fritz Carlos the, the Miniature Schnauzer. Uh, Louis' girlfriend... Uh, Annabelle, the sheepdog, and apparently every other animal around live together inside of an old mansion. It's an old mansion, uh, which is also apparently Foofur's birthplace, and for some reason that information was important to the uh, to the to the plotline of the cartoon. Um, now, for again, for reasons known to nobody at all, Foofur and his friends had an enemy, and that is a human enemy named Mrs. Escrow. Uh, catchy name, very well thought out. Didn't, uh, didn't take much effort there at all. Mrs. Escrow, who I guess she, like, owns the mansion, and her Chihuahua, Pepe, uh, they're always trying to expose Foofer, and I'm quoting directly from the show's uh, official synopsis here, Foofer and his illegal roommates, so I guess him, you know, the fact that a dog is there uh, with, with other animals, he's keeping the other animals illegally, I mean, is he paying rent? I don't know. But he's got illegal roommates, and they're try- so they're trying to al- always expose the fact that he's got these illegal roommates. And I guess he paid rent of some sort, but, uh, you know, had blatant disregard for an occupancy limit. I don't know. But it uh, seems odd that there's an old woman who would expect rent from a pack of animals that she's trying to evict. And also, they're a pack of animals, which reminds me again, they're animals. Um, So the Foofer gang also had minor recurring adventures from time to time. But mainly, it was just them thwarting Miss Escrow's ridiculous attempts to sell their home. But what really stood out about uh, Foofer and Friends was that it was categorized as a slice-of-life cartoon. And, uh, you know, that just uh, didn't sit right with me, because I don't know if you know what the actual definition of a slice-of-life is, but a slice-of-life means that it's supposed to be a, quote, and I'm quoting here exactly, a realistic representation of everyday experiences, which they've fucking absolutely nailed here. That realism is all over the place as the talking fucking animals outwit an old woman. That shit happens to me daily, so I can only really, I can really relate to it. I am always noting how blue dogs and their talking and organized groups of other dogs and cats are causing home reality businesses trouble. Um, It's a real problem that mostly uh, just... uh, you know, it's just definitely a slice of life realistic, every everyday life that we all have to deal with. It's just, you know, dogs and talking animals outwitting us left and right. In fact, uh, just last week, my two cats, Bals and Rikish Cat, were discussing how they hate doing laundry and how being cats, they didn't care for the current uh, snowy weather. You know, just regular slice of life stuff, normal, nothing out of the ordinary shit. Two cats talking in perfect human English about normal, everyday household stuff, you know, just regular old slice of life. Ah, uh, Jesus Christ. Do you remember, uh, Dino Riders? 1988, Dino Riders. It was a cartoon that was, in all honesty, a big commercial for a line of toys about dinosaurs that had uh, futuristic armor. But they made a cartoon of it. And, uh, the basic premise was, uh, there were these two, two, uh, two types of species. There were the Valorians, uh, who were just basically, like, humans, but, like, highly evolved superhumans. And then there was the Rulon Alliance, that were basically just, like, uh human-animal hybrids, like ant-, ant people, crocodile people, snake people, you know, being the most common, but why not, right? So um, anyway, the Valorians and the Rulans, they come from a distant future, and they're sent back in time for no fucking reason to where the dinosaurs are, and then they continue to fight, but now they're using armored dinosaurs from various eras. Um, so now it's very important that you should know, and I cannot stress this enough, that the dinosaurs in this show were not forced to fight. They were befriended by the Valorians. You just pop back through time, rip a hole in the space-time continuum, and, you know, that's just a logical thing. Anytime that a, that a hole or a rift in time opens up and human beings hurtle through uh, into a the world of dinosaurs, what's going to happen? Well, the dinosaurs are going to come up to you and be like, huh? And they're going to be curious, and you're going to make friends with them. Um, now... That only worked for the Valorians, of course. The evil Rulons, on the other hand, they, would, they just brainwashed their dinosaurs into doing their bidding. Which seems like a real waste of that brainwashing technology to me. For example, if they had, like, you know, I mean, let's, let, let's look at it here. If crocodile, ant, shark, snake people had brainwashing technology already shouldn't they just use it to brainwash their enemies and take over rather than waste it on fucking dinosaurs? I mean, a dinosaur's brain is the size of a walnut. You just you brainwash your enemies and then be like, oh, no, 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 we were always in charge. Your, enmo- your enemies are going to be like, oh, oh uh, yeah, you know what, that sounds right. Just, you know, It just seems like a real misuse of a very potent technologically advantage, uh, a technological advantage, rather, that they have at their disposal. And if it had been me, I'd have been like, hey, uh, fellow mutant human people's, Let's, uh, let's just brainwash everyone and be done with it. We can just take their shit and we can rule the world and it would be you know, fucking easy. But based off the show itself, the, the other Rulons would probably have been like, nah, nah, that ain't us. We can't just be using our uh, crazy brainwash tech to easily win. We got Stegosaurs and Raptors to brainwash, son. Don't you see it? So that was, uh, that was Dino Riders. Um, so 1997, I saved the uh, the most disturbing one for last. Um, 1997 provided us with a cartoon show called Mummies Alive. Mummies Alive was just, just an odd fucking cartoon. And it was created by someone who clearly thought that what kids were into in 1997 was ancient Egyptian mythology and archaeological information. And I'm assuming he was high, because it seems like if you really think about any of these cartoons... Everybody had to have been fucking high. Um, So it was a show about an evil mummy named Scarab who wanted to steal the soul of an Egyptian prince. But the Egyptian prince was already dead. So using the ancient Egyptian power of waiting and being dead for thousands of years until somebody finds your corpse and excavates it, Scarab traveled to the modern times. So that way he could steal the now reincarnated soul of the Egyptian prince. Are you still with me? Good. Good. Everybody follow yes. that? Okay, good. Yeah, I know. It's rough. Um, okay, because that's just the bad guy. That's just the bad guy in this show. The reincarnated Egyptian prince is a 12-year-old boy now, and so that's awesome. It should be super easy for an ancient Egyptian son of a bitch to tear out some kid's soul in 1997 America, right? Right? Nope, because the 12-year-old's got his own mummies. And they're alive! Mummies alive! So he's got mummies to protect him, and naturally hijinks ensue. Um, including an episode where the mummies are chaperones for a class field trip. Because that just was normal. An episode where uh, mummies use magic to bring monster trucks to life. Again, because normal. An episode where the mummies buy modern clothes so that they can blend in with uh, moder- with 1997 people better. Because that that's what's really making them stand out, is their lack of fashion sense. It's not the fact that they're fucking mummies! It's not the fact that they're fucking undead corpses of ancient from ancient Egypt that are up walking around with fucking Egyptian fucking powers and shit. That's not what's making them stand out. It's their lack of fashion sense in 1997. They don't have fucking bowl cuts and flannel shirts on. That's it. They're not listening to Nirvana enough. They're chanting to the sun god Ra. <sighs> Jesus. Uh, and then there's, of course, an episode where one of the mummies turns into a cat who is also a mummy. So, as I said, I saved the best one for last. You thought Mummy's Alive was the last one, didn't you? You naive fools. No. The best one for last, 1985, Hulk Hogan's Rockin' Wrestling. Now, as a wrestling fan for basically my entire life, or at least all of the parts of my life that matter, I can actually say, I've actually gone back and watched a lot of Hulk Hogan's and Wrestling, if not all the episodes. And, uh, what was... The best thing about Hulk Hogan's Rockin' Wrestling was that it was a strange but awesome cartoon in that Hulk Hogan leads a team of uh, babyface good guy wrestlers against Rowdy Roddy Piper and his team of heel bad guy wrestlers. And it reflected many of the cartoon stereotypes of that time because they didn't do any fucking wrestling. It was more just like Hulk's team challenging Piper's team to a race or Hillbilly Jim embarrassing his cousin at her wedding because he's a hillbilly. Well, there was an episode where both teams compete in uh, compete with each other by cleaning Mean Jean Oakland's home, and another involving a horse who is also a thief. I'm not making that up. Uh, there's an episode where Andre the Giant uh, tries to convince his mom that he's not a wrestler, he's a chef, because he doesn't want her to be disappointed in his career choices. This... There wasn't a lot of thought in the events of these episodes, clearly, is what I'm saying, but it's awesome because it was Hulk Hogan and the stars of the early 80s getting into wacky situations like Junkyard Dog building a robot out of garbage. Um, now, that being said, the problem was that there wasn't one. You know, that was the problem with this cartoon, is that there was no problem. This was a show that should have been updated, that should have just updated the cast every few seasons with the uh, current stars of the day, and theoretically ran forever. And I could have eventually seen them incorporating Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels, The Undertaker, Psycho Sid, Razor Ramon, Gold Dust, Big Daddy Cool Diesel, Ultimate Warrior, and so on and so forth. And up through modern day, you get to the uh, Attitude Area, you'd have uh, DX, uh, The Rock, uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin, of course. Um, you know, The Undertaker would still be around. Uh, maybe you get Rashiki in there... Or Rikishi, Rikishi in there. God, Rikishi. Get Rikishi in there and uh, just have him do his fucking shit. You know, I could see this cartoon fucking going on forever. Uh, you know, and if you're thinking, okay, well, what would they do with the modern characters? Just, just imagine this. Imagine where an episode where Sean and Brett engage each other in various contests to see who's better like like a car wash or something like that or how about an episode where Gold Dust opens a talent agency that would fit the Gold Dust character perfectly and be an entertaining 15 minute short you know what would be fucking classic about it how about an under how about an episode where Doink the clown tries to get the Undertaker to smile or laugh i'm just giving you out fucking gold here and i'm just coming up with it off the top of my head how about that that would be fucking amazing You know what else is going to be fucking amazing? Let me tell you what else is going to be fucking amazing. One of my favorite horror movies of all time is Candyman. And I feel that even after 27 years, it is still one of the most underrated horror franchises and that the Candyman character of Daniel Robitaille, that's right, Robitaille, he was uh, Creole, is one of the more frightening entities whose backstory may be among the best in all of horror movie, all, all of horror movie characters at all, and many many people either forget or simply don't know that the Candyman was in fact created by Clive Barker, who created Hellraiser. Um, now, as a kid, I think Candyman probably scared my brother and I more than Freddy, Chucky, or Jason, and part of it was just how seriously the character was handled. Um, as well as the whole urban legend status, which naturally, you, if you try to convince a nine-year-old and a four-year-old to go into a dark bathroom and stare at the mirror and say Candyman five times, they are going to absolutely do that and scare the fuck out of themselves. Uh, so that that was probably part of it. But, you know, there's also the uh, a very hilarious quality to the Candyman as well. And it's not so much about the character, but how other characters in the film react to the character of the Candyman. So, um. There's a scene early on in the film where the main character, who for some reason I guess is researching urban legends for her college, even though she looks like she's about 35, um, is told about the Candyman and told about the legend of the Candyman. So she goes to uh, the apartment where the legend is like, you know, like all these murders have been happening lately, and people have been saying, oh, it was the Candyman that did it. So she goes around there and she talks to these cleaning ladies who are telling her about Ruthie Jean, and they they're, they're you know they're like they they didn't. Play down the like the the African American cleaning woman stereotype in this movie at all, because the woman who is uh, Ruthie Jean is a woman who is never at all in this movie or even confirmed to exist in the movie, but they wildly the, the, these these. Uh, Cleaning ladies wildly claim that she was killed by the Candyman. And they talk about this random woman and the Candyman in the hurried panic of a person that pretty much goes as follows. Oh, Ruthie Jean said that the Candyman, he came and he had that sweet honey and them bees. I didn't believe it was coming up with his mouth, all them bees spitting his bees at people. Poor Ruthie Jean, poor Ruthie Jean. He got her with his hook, gutted her from belly to sternum and getting his bees all down her throat. And so on. And it goes on like this. And I'm pretty sure that the woman just repeats Ruthie Jean and the word bees for three fucking minutes until the main character was freaked out enough to fucking leave. It might not have even been something that was scripted. They might have just had this woman sit there fucking rambling about bees and they just decided to film it. Now, that being said, the hilarious part is that at the end of the movie, when the main character confronts the Candyman and he opens up his coat, And there are bees all over his ribcage. And he starts spitting bees out of his mouth. And French kisses fucking bees in her throat. She was warned of this. So this random... Think of it this way. This random babbling woman goes on and on about bees for her entire fucking scene. And then after it seems like she may have been a meth addict who just happened to start rambling at Virginia Madsen on camera. The fucking stuff happens. He shows up and there are in fact bees. And they are just as she said, in his mouth. So this random lady just knew about all Candyman's business: his bees, his hook, his fucking email address, what kind of car he drives, where he bought his forties and his Swisher sweets, which burn barrel groups he cheers with, so on, so on and so forth. And she just gives all this information away for free to pretty much anybody, and yet people just still get killed by him, and he forces his mouth bees down their throats. She could be like, she could spend all day being like, don't say Candyman cause he'll show up at your house and shoot his mouth bees in your mouth. And everyone's just going to be like, yeah, okay, Anne Marie, thanks, go back to your meth. she'd be like, no, you stupid asshole, I'm not talking about no meth, I'm talking about Candyman. He's coming, his coat and mouth are full of bees and he's at your place right now. And everyone goes, okay, bye, see you later, Matthew McMath. And she's all like, okay, fuck you then, I hope he gets his bees all up in your business. And everyone's just like, yep, cool, cool beans, gotcha, bees, awesome, bye. And then they leave, and Candyman shows up, complete with bees. And everyone acts like they weren't completely informed about this exact, this exact fucking thing happening. Exactly what they were warned about is exactly what's fucking going down. And they say, Because they said Candyman. It goes like this. They're warned of the Candyman. They go, okay, whatever you say, Methy. They go home. They say Candyman. He shows up. He launches mouth bees at them and kills them with a hook and everyone just ignores her like she's some sort of fucking weirdo and just ramble who just rambles about bees. And that's why I find Candyman as hilarious as it is unique. In Freddy or Jason movies, there's always someone who warns characters, uh, but it's way more cryptic like you're doomed or don't fall asleep. And they never tell you why, you know, why are we doomed? What happens if we fall asleep? But in Candyman, it's don't do this specific series of things or this specific guy will show up and do this specific amount of bee-related shit to you and then the people still go and do it. You know, see, if it were me and some person came up to me rambling about some dude called Candyman, I'm already put off because he sounds like a rapist. But add that, he's got a hook hand and an exposed ribcage and spits angry fucking bees at you and I'm absolutely not fucking with that guy. I'm not. Because anybody who generally covers their person with bees and who is known to store excess bees in their mouth is on my list of people I'm not going to fuck with, especially when they're walking around with a rapey ass name like Candyman and just like a crowbar hook at the end of their stump arm. I'll pass, I'll pass, I will pass, thank you, I will take a hard pass on that. Thank you, you can keep your mouth full of bees, you can keep your nasty ass stump arm with a hook in it. Keep your exposed cage. I am not fucking interested. Moving along. Um, okay, I think that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, thank you guys. I hope you enjoyed it. And, um, you know, before I let you go, check out a Fireside Chat hosted by my friend, Ryan McCormick, uh, also affectionately known as, uh, Grimace, um, He's got some new episodes out there. Uh, you can check out his uh, web Facebook page, Fireside Chat, uh, on, at Facebook. If not, if you can't find it for whatever reason, you can I link all his episodes onto the uh, the Element of Surprise Facebook group, so you can find them there. Um, also, check out the boys at McSauce. Ian, Paul, and Matt are uh, doing their podcast, the comic book podcast. Uh, and uh, you can find them at Podomatic. Dot com. Um, I also, whenever they do put out an episode, if I if I'm privy to it, I will link that onto the Facebook pages or to the EOS group as well. Uh, same thing goes with Justin Case, hosted by uh, Justin, C- hosted by Justin Case. Jesus Christ. Case in point, hosted by Justin Case, uh, available on Audio Boom, and uh, I I've been linking some of his episodes into the EOS group as well. And then there's uh, lastly, there's Lunch After Dark. Uh, hosted by the the lunch after dark boys i'm still new to their episode to their podcast but they are cranking out good episodes left and right and they're very funny um check those out if you get a chance um and just stay tuned for any upcoming EOS related shiz that being said without further ado thank you and cue the fucking bear music